Well, good morning, church. It has uh, been a great day of worship already. It's good to be with you. I'm thankful uh, that you're here. I know we have some folks, as Kent mentioned a minute ago, that are out of town traveling already. Our, I think all of our school districts are in our area are mostly out of school already. And, and so some people have gotten a head start on their Thanksgiving break, but I'm thankful you're here. I know we have some people that are joining us online. If you're online this morning, we're thankful that you're with us as well. Uh, this morning, you have not only already been able to worship, but you have also been able to witness courage on full display with our brother, Rocky Baker. So let's give Rocky a little love there. I wasn't going to tell on him, but he told on himself and talked about how nervous he got and how he, um, how he usually denies my request to do the, the communion thought and prayer. Uh, but I'm like the persistent widow, you know, that just keeps asking. Uh, and he has uh, given in to my, to my plea. So I also want to take just a minute uh, and acknowledge this morning, a couple of weekends ago, our ladies had a ladies retreat. And I know that re went really, really well. Uh, the, the lady that was our, the speaker for that retreat, Miss Reby Woods and her husband Ron are here this morning. I want you to be sure and meet them and welcome them this morning. We're thankful that you are here uh, with us. Um, I know that was a blessing to the, those ladies that were able to, to attend that retreat. I want to mention as I uh, start this morning also that uh, Thanksgiving season, as you all know, is upon us. And uh, I, I think um, we have a special Thanksgiving service that is planned for next Sunday. So don't even if you get the Christmas decorations up or if some of you have already uh, committed that, that sin of putting your Christmas decorations up before the Thanksgiving holiday has already happened. Uh, you know, there is forgiveness for all of us. Uh, but if, you know, I don't want you to totally, even if you get the decorations out, I don't want you to totally get out of the Thanksgiving spirit because next Sunday we're going to have a special service uh, dedicated to giving thanks to God. We're going to reflect on Psalm 118 together. We have several people in our body who are going to share some testimonies and some stories about how they have seen God work in their life in the last year and how they have uh, thanks in their heart because of what God has done. And so you'll get to hear some of that. I'm really excited about that. I also want to mention, and one thing uh, that we always want to make sure to do around this time of the year uh, is to make sure that everybody is at a table and that everybody has a place to share a Thanksgiving meal. So if you do not have a place to eat on Thursday, uh, and, or if you know of someone that doesn't have a place to eat, um, I want you to let me or one of the shepherds or staff know. We want to make sure that everybody uh, is a part of a gathering this week uh, that wants to do that. And, um, and so I also want to encourage you in that, in that spirit to be having your eyes open for people in your circle of relationships, neighbors, friends, enemies, whoever you might uh, want to invite to be at your table uh, because the kingdom of God is like a long table where, uh, where people share a meal and give thanks together. Amen. And so, uh, so I want you to, to be looking for that and have your eyes open, uh, your ears open for opportunities to, uh, to be inclusive this week as you gather with people to give thanks to God. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray this morning as we, as we begin our time in God's word. Father, we thank you uh, for a few minutes together <clears throat> to open up your word and to study together. And we, we do pray, as we've just uh, been singing the last few minutes, that, uh, that all creation will say and will acknowledge the reign of our King, Jesus. Um, and we recognize, God, that, uh, that, that though this kingdom that we are a part of seems or appears backwards, uh, it's actually 
uh, forwards. It's actually right side up. It's, it's not upside down. And, and so we understand that, but yet we know that the reality of the world that we live in is that so much of what you call us to appears to be and seems to be um, countercultural to, to what, and often is countercultural to what we experience in this world. And so uh, our prayer, Father, is that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth and in us as it is in heaven. We pray as we study together this morning that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ and the church said, amen. So today, as Chris mentioned, is the, the final sermon in this series we've been working through over the last several months that we've called Upside Down Kingdom. This morning, we're going to be in Luke 17 to start, if you want to be turning there. Uh, the verse that we'll read, verses we'll read will be up on the screen as well. And we've called this series Upside Down Kingdom because uh, of this, this idea, the key idea really in this series has been that Jesus is king and that Jesus is reigning over a kingdom. And, but what we've seen as we've looked at stories in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus doesn't view kingdom, the word kingdom, the idea of kingdom in the way that most people do. Uh, and he has some interesting and often difficult ideas around that. And in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, that's emphasized quite a bit. And we've been in Matthew mostly during the series. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Luke. But I want to, I want to, Matthew emphasizes it in a very particular way. And I want to I just kind of run through as an example for you just to kind of see the way that Matthew emphasizes and highlights that Jesus is the great king who rules over a kingdom. Uh, just a few examples to kind of show you what I'm talking about. First of all, in uh, Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus is told, we're told that Jesus is descended from King David, which means that this person, Jesus, descends from a royal line. Then we know in, in, in chapter 2 of Matthew that magi from the east bring gifts to Jesus, and they do that, recognizing him as a king, as the king of the Jews. And then John the Baptist and Jesus both in their ministry are proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, that the kingdom of heaven is near, that the kingdom of heaven is near is the thing that they continue to say over and over and over again. Then throughout the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus shows his authority as king, and he does that by teaching and by saying things that, that ascribe authority to himself, but also part of what the point of his miracles is, is to sort of portray and to show his authority that he has been given by God. And then finally, at the end of his life, the charge against Jesus at his crucifixion reads the king of the Jews. And so you see this sort of arc all the way through the gospel story of the ways that Jesus is portrayed and proclaimed as king, presented that way from beginning of his story until the end of the story. And I have in this series, I've wanted us to think together uh, about this idea because what I know is that oftentimes we forget this reality. We don't live in a kingdom, and so that language is, is kind of clunky and unfamiliar to us in many ways. Uh, we forget the reality that we are a part of something that is different than the world that we are living in. And everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, every action, every word, he was both announcing the kingdom and he was bringing the kingdom into focus. In fact, uh, you can find some writers who would go as far to say that the only thing that Jesus actually talked about in all of his ministry, in all of his teaching, and all of the things that he did was the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as it's called in some places. Uh, some have, have made the case that this is the only thing really that he talks about. 
But for sure, the kingdom of God, whether it was the only thing he talked about or not, is the main thing that he talks about. It's, it's, all, it's more important probably than any other topic that he talks about. And again, the Gospel of Matthew, which has been the focus of this series, uh, just as an example of what I'm talking about, Jesus is, mentions the kingdom of heaven over 50 times. Well, there's only 28 chapters in the entire book of Matthew, so this, this means it's getting mentioned right regularly, often, over and over and over again throughout the story that Matthew is telling. It was this dominant theme of his teaching which was why I wanted to spend some time talking about it over the last several weeks. And so today, to finish this series, talking about our king and his kingdom, I want to spend some time, instead of looking at another story, which we're going to look at a story but not, not a parable in the sense that we have, uh, I want to spend some time as I close the series talking about what the kingdom is and why it matters. And I'm doing this on the back end of the series. This might seem like the thing you would do on the front end, but... I'm doing, it's upside down kingdom. You follow what I'm doing here. I'm doing the thing that seems like you would think I would do it at the front, at the back end of the series, because I want you to have all the stories that we've studied in the last several months together in mind as we talk about what the kingdom is and why it matters. Why does it matter that you understand that you serve a king and that you are a part of a kingdom? Why does that matter? And so today I wanna, I wanna spend some time thinking about that and to do that, I want to look first in Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning in verse 20 uh, and reading there. This is what Luke says. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus talked about the kingdom constantly, as I said, but he never directly defines the kingdom of God. He never gives a, what we might think of as like a dictionary definition of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is this specific thing, fill in the blank, right? He didn't talk like that, but what he does over and over and over again, as we've seen in this series, is he says that the kingdom of God is like it's like this or it's like that. The kingdom of God is like people who change and become like children. The kingdom of God is like a king forgiving a billion dollar debt, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like a vineyard owner that decides to pay people that work only one hour of the day as much as he paid people who worked the full day. The kingdom of God is like the first being last and the last being first. And the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet that a king prepared for his son and invited a bunch of guests to the party and nobody decided to come. And so he sent his servants out again and said, go out the good and the bad, invite everybody that you can find on the streets and bring them into the party. Jesus doesn't define it clearly, but he gives us lots of illusions and examples and pictures. And these are just a few of the ways that we've looked in this series that Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel. There are many other places. In other places, it's being described as like yeast working its way through a batch of dough, which we're going to look at that reference in just a minute. Or he says it's like the kingdom of God is like a lost coin or a lost sheep or a lost son. 
Which is why here in Luke chapter 17, Luke tells us that Jesus answers the Pharisees the way that he does. They say, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God that you're talking about going to come? And he says, it's not easily defined, you see. So that somebody can say, look, here it is. Or look, there it is. Because it isn't like that. And Jesus has obviously been talking about it a lot. And they're paying attention to what he's saying. Right? And so they're essentially saying, okay, we hear you talking about this. We understand that it's an important thing to you. We understand that you're, you believe that you're a king and that you're going to, you have a kingdom and, and we're trying to make sense of what it is exactly that you're saying. But when is it going to get here, Jesus? Because right now, all we see is you and a bunch of ragtag disciples that you have. And that doesn't look like much of what a kingdom looks like in our imagination. You with me? And so Jesus says, this is my paraphrase, he says, you guys, it's not like that. It isn't going to show up in the way that you think it's going to show up with an army. And you can't travel to it in the way that you're thinking about traveling to a kingdom located in a specific place in the way that you think about being located in a specific place. The kingdom is going to function in a totally different way. This is Jesus. My, my estimation of this story here in Luke 17 is this is Jesus being very much like Jesus always is, right? Always keeping people on their toes, always sort of not really answering the question that gets asked to him in a way that the people who are asking the question want him to answer the question. What is Jesus saying in his answer? I believe he's saying it is coming. But it will not be in the way that you think it will happen. It is not going to arrive in the way you think it's going to arrive. It may not be obvious to you. So that someone can point it out and go, look, there it is. Or here, come over here and look at it and see what I'm talking about. It isn't going to be easily defined, though it can be understood. And you can't travel to it necessarily, but you can glimpse it. You can experience it. You can participate in it. That, that phrase in Luke chapter 17 that we just looked at a minute ago, it's a tricky word. Entos is the Greek word. And, and even the way that the word uh, in Greek gets translated, we see the challenge of the word, the trickiness of the word, and the way that it gets translated into English. Because depending on what translation you look at, it gets translated different ways. The NIV that we read translates it in your midst. Right? The kingdom of God is in your midst. The, the New Revised Standard Version translates it as the kingdom of God is among you. The ESV, which I think that's also the way the King James translates it, the kingdom of God is within you is the way the ESV translates it. Right, And I, th I think that all of these work. But I think even in the differences in the way that it gets translated into English sort of communicates that it is mysterious and that it is not easily defined. It is both among you and within you and in your midst. And when the Pharisees asked when it's going to arrive, right, they're expecting it to be a place. Kings have a place. Kings have a castle. Kings have a territory. Kings have a land. Kings have borders. Kings have an army. And this is understandable because the word kingdom, right, it does refer to a place over which someone is king. The dome over which someone is king, right? And so Jesus is using a word, but he's not using it in the way that they've heard it used before, and so there's confusion. So you can understand why they're asking the question. They're like, I hear you talking about this dome over which you have authority, this dome over which you reign, but we're not seeing it. 
And we all have to an extent, right, our own little kingdoms. We all have our own little dome over which we are in charge of those things. We have influence and responsibility, and the Pharisees are thinking that it's some kind of physical thing because of the language that he's using. And Jesus is not talking about it in the way that they understand it. He's talking about a spiritual thing, and they think he's talking about a physical thing. There are places in the Bible where this idea is wrestled with, just so you know that, that as we think about it, this is not a new thing. One place you see someone wrestling with this spiritual reality is in John chapter 3, a conversation that Jesus has with a very prominent Pharisee named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a member of the the Pharisees, just like the, the group that Luke tells us came to ask Jesus this question. It's the same group. And but in John 3, we have a record of Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation. We get to listen in to Nicodemus wrestling with this idea of the kingdom of God. And I want to look just quickly at this story in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what John records, uh, Jesus and Nicodemus' conversation. There, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. That's the authority thing I was telling you about a minute ago. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh, understandably, gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? Nicodemus, a spiritual leader and teacher in Jerusalem, in, in, the, in, in Israel, right? He knows his Bible, the Old Testament at the time. He was popular. He was well-liked. He was beloved. He was likely wealthy and older. He lives in Jerusalem, and Jesus has been up in the northern part of Israel in Galilee, but he's been hearing about Jesus, and he's been hearing these sort of rumblings about this teacher. But now Jesus has come to Jerusalem, and most, if not all, of Nicodemus's colleagues have dismissed Jesus altogether, but he can't, they're saying things like, he can't be from God, he's not one of us. But Nicodemus seems to think something differently, and he says, I know you're from God because you wouldn't be able to be doing the things you're doing if you weren't. He knew something was up, and he was determined to figure it out and to figure out what exactly Jesus was talking about. So an arrangement is made for these two to have a conversation under the cover of darkness because Jesus is a bit radical, and there needs to be some space between these, when these two rabbis can speak to each other without being interrupted or being watched by everybody else. And so these two rabbis go up onto a rooftop in Jerusalem at night, and they sit and they visit, and Jesus tells Nicodemus, that no one, think about what he said, no one can see or perceive the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, yeah, but I'm an old man already. 
So that's pretty much settled for me at this point in my life. Jesus, I've held these views a long time, right? People don't change easily. Plus, you don't expect me to re-enter my mother's womb, do you? That's just nonsense. It's not even possible. And Jesus says, no, either you're born again or you'll never be able to participate in what God is doing to bring his kingdom into the world. The translation that we read from a minute ago translates it born again, but that word again actually can be translated from above. Jesus is not talking about something, somebody, something beyond, right? He's, he's saying being born again means to be born from above. There's a thing that's happening, Nicodemus, that's a spiritual thing that's not what I'm talking about. You're thinking about a physical thing and I'm talking about a spiritual thing. And this will involve, this spiritual thing that's going to happen in your life will involve letting go of your assumptions about what you think God is up to, or you will not be able to perceive the kingdom of God that is actually coming, even though it's right here in front of you. Literally, it's sitting across the table from you right now. He isn't saying, you know, unless you pray this certain prayer, Nicodemus, or unless you do these certain things, you'll never get into the kingdom there is a reference here to being washed and being cleansed and being a re, you know, reborn. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. He's saying, Nicodemus, you have to open up your heart and you have to let God help you see things in a new way altogether. Jesus is talking about a way of thinking, about a way of having his mind and heart transformed. A new way of thinking and seeing things, a new way of being in the world. And if you know the story, you know that Nicodemus does seem to rethink some things. Because after Jesus' crucifixion, John tells us in John chapter 19, verse 38, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. This is an interesting idea that we don't have time to think about this morning. But he was a disciple secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus went with Joseph of Arimathea to give Jesus. The significance of that right there is that they're giving him a kingly burial. They brought spices and oils and things to prepare Jesus' body in the way that a king's body would have been prepared. They did that because of what they believed about Jesus. But Nicodemus isn't the only person that you see wrestling with what this kingdom is and what God is up to. Another person you see wrestling with this, the one this one might surprise you even more, but this spiritual reality of the kingdom of God is John the Baptist. You remember what happened with John the, John the Baptist. He, he comes into the world. He prepares the way for Jesus teaching and preaching and baptizing. And then he, he gets arrested by Herod. And he's just waiting in a cell somewhere. He had, had some disciples that began to follow him as he was doing his teaching and preaching and baptizing. And they began to follow him, but now he's in prison. And he's sort of wondering, like, when is this thing going to happen? When's the revolution going to begin? When is the kingdom going to come? And so John sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus this question. I want to look in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. This is what it says. John's disciples told him, John, about all these things. They're, they're, they're observing, right? And, they, and so John calls two of them and he says, 
he sent them to the Lord Jesus to ask, are you, ask this question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they asked, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, listen to this, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus said, he said, tell John what you see and hear, right? The army is growing. The troops are being trained. We're getting ready to dominate and set up our headquarters in Jerusalem. Is that what he said? No. He said, go tell John what you see and hear. It's just a bunch of people getting well, finding new life, and hearing good news. It turned out that overthrowing Rome and Jesus ascending to the throne and Caesar getting ousted wasn't what happened, and it was never a part of God's plan. The kingdom of God is a place, but that place turns out to be every place. It is a people, but those people turn out to be from every nation. And this kingdom, the kingdom of God, did not arrive like you expected. This is what John the Baptist realized. This is what Nicodemus realized. And it is what we are realizing. It does not enter the world with great fanfare. In fact, I want to go back and, and, reference, and, and look at a reference that I made earlier in Matthew chapter 13. We're not going to look there, but I want to just, you can go look at it later on your own. Jesus says in Matthew 13, he gives two pictures. He says, the kingdom of God is like yeast. Yeast. Working its way through a batch of dough. Come on. Yeast is not spectacular. It, is not, it, is not, it does not appear to be powerful. In the same chapter, Matt, Jesus says in Matthew 13, he says it's like a seed. You plant in the ground. A seed? Really, Jesus? Your kingdom is like a seed? Seeds aren't flashy. They don't arrive into the world with great fanfare or in a, some spectacular fashion. But both seeds and yeast have something in common. Yeast, think about it, when it is worked into the dough, disappears. Seeds, when they are put into the ground, disappear. But then they reappear as something else, as a loaf of bread or as a tree. You might say that they function like something else that you've heard about before, death and resurrection. In the, first, in the first house that Lana and I owned, there was a little bitty small tree. This is the actual house. This is our little house, Lana. She doesn't even know I'm going to tell this story. There was a, there was a little tree that we, uh, the little tree in that front yard. It was so small that it had a stick that had to hold it up and you had like strings, you know, that had to like keep it from falling over when the wind blew too hard. And for months... I just ran a hose out to the tree and just let the water just trickle on the tree because I had this big vision of a big tree growing up in our front yard and tried to give it a little help, right? But then we were called here in 2011 and we moved away from that house and from that town. And, and back in 2017, I went there to speak and I just had a little extra time. So I just drove by our old house uh, and I went through our old neighborhood and I hadn't been there in years at that point. 
But this picture is what I found. That little tree had grown into a big tree. I don't have any idea how big it is. It might be now. And as I was thinking about that tree, I was thinking about that tree as I was thinking about today. And as I was thinking about that, it occurred to me, you know, that in all the years that we lived in that house, I watched that tree a lot. But do you know that I never once, not once, saw it grow? I never actually saw it growing. You with me? You never see anything happen when you're watching a tree, but something is happening. All you do is wake up and go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep and wake up and go to sleep, right? And the tree grows. And this, Jesus says, is like the kingdom of God. And this is how it is as well with you. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. And it is the seed that starts small and over time works into something bigger, grows into something bigger. It is the yeast working its way through the batch of dough of your life. And the way that the kingdom arrives into your life is the way that a tree grows by remaining planted. If you yank a tree up out of the ground, it is not going to survive. The way a tree grows is the way your life grows, the way your spirit grows, the way the seed of the kingdom grows within you. It stays planted. You stay planted. You remain planted. You, you stay rooted in the soil of Christ. You soak up the water of the Spirit, the Son of God, right? You soak this up and you stay planted and you grow. And, and as we live in this kingdom, our job is to stay rooted. It's to stay rooted in Jesus, to stay connected to the church, to community. And it doesn't happen fast. It doesn't happen overnight. But you stay rooted in Christ and, and you let some time pass by and growth over time happens. I have talked to many people, and you probably have too, who over, over the course of their life will reflect on their life and maybe be frustrated about not feeling like there is spiritual growth in their life. And the thing I want to say about that is, uh, the first question I think we have to consider is, are we staying rooted? Are we staying rooted to Christ? It's not about rules. It's not about Following these five steps, it's not about any of those things. It's about staying connected to Christ, to the body of Christ, allowing the Spirit of God to work in your life so that the fruit of the Spirit of God can grow and be produced in your life. And that is not going to happen fast. It's going to happen slowly because God works slowly. And so the first step may be evaluating how rooted I am in Christ. The second thing that we might consider is as we think about our life, and as we think about our connection to the, the, root, the, the soil that we have planted ourselves in, is how, how, do we, how, do, how are we evaluating ourselves, right? Are we, are we being gracious to ourselves and kind to ourselves when we think about that? Are you, real, are you shaming and beating yourself up? I would encourage you to be patient. God is patient with you. Be patient with yourself. But stay rooted in Christ and let some time go by and allow growth to happen. The kingdom of God comes and arrives in our life and over time begins to change us. And as we conclude this series, my hope is that we will remember that the kingdom of God is within you, 
that the kingdom of God is among you, that the kingdom of God is in your midst. One day, Jesus will return and we will experience the kingdom in its fullness. That is also part of what Jesus was talking about. But until then, as citizens of this kingdom, living in another place on earth, right? We're living, we're a part of a kingdom and we're living in a place. And as we live our lives, we get to partner with God in bringing that kingdom in increasing ways to the earth. And that, that change that we, we, we imagine happens with us first. It starts with us. That God's kingdom comes to this piece of earth first and then to this piece of earth as it comes to this piece of earth. And this happens by dying to ourselves, by living lives of sacrifice, by serving people, by taking up our cross, right? What does it look like, Doug, to to live out the principles of the kingdom? It looks like dying to yourself, It looks like living a life of sacrifice. It looks like serving other people. It looks like taking up your cross. None of these things are spectacular or fancy. They're just daily commitments to just get up again and do it again today and continue to do it in whatever place you work, in whatever place you go to school, in whatever neighborhood you live in. You get up every day and you commit, I'm going to do that work. I'm going to go to that school. I'm going to live in that neighborhood. But my primary focus is going to be to be a person where the kingdom that that where the, a place where the kingdom of God can grow and can get expressed into those workplaces, into those schools, into our homes, into our neighborhoods. There isn't some grand spectacular thing that necessarily has to happen. You bring the kingdom into the world anytime. You offer forgiveness, right? You think you're just offering forgiveness, but a spiritual thing is actually happening. Are you with me? You bring the kingdom into the world anytime you help someone who is last move to the front of the line. You bring the kingdom into the world anytime you welcome home a lost son, a lost sheep, you find a lost coin. Anytime you share a table with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and strangers and friends and enemies, you are bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Anytime, anytime that you invite the good and the bad to the party, you are bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Anytime that you love your enemies or you love your neighbor like you love yourself, you are bringing the kingdom of God into the world. All of these things, these teachings from Jesus, are our way to participate in this kingdom. We're not doing it with a military takeover. We're doing it by living out this process of death and resurrection. Death and resurrection with our lives. And if you think about all those things, church, that I just mentioned, the act of doing those things is the death choice. And then the the other part of that is when I forgive someone, that is all the things that that involves is you dying to yourself, humbling yourself, offering forgiveness, even though it might be hard and you might not want to do it. And then trusting as that seed goes into the ground, that resurrection somehow is going to break out of the ground one day. Right? Right? You die to yourself, you humble yourself, you live in a way that invites the kingdom of God to come and you trust that the resurrection of God is going to break out. Yes, resurrection happened in a tomb in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but resurrection still happens today by you and I living out this process of death first with our lives. Will you stand with me this morning? 
as I thought about how to conclude this series, uh, I want to I want to end it with a prayer that we're going to pray together. Uh, I'm going to say the words in white, and then together we're going to say the words in yellow. There's two screens here that we'll look at. Uh, this is a prayer from Francis of Assisi. You might recognize. Uh, and so let's pray these words together. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Let's say these words together. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in peace this morning.